Welcome to the Rewatch Rewind, the podcast in which I talk about the movies I watched the most times from 2003 through 2022. It's the first official episode. If you haven't listened to my introduction, maybe go back and do that if you want to know more details about exactly what I'm doing. In this episode, I'm going to talk about my 40th most rewatched movie, which is the 1964 Disney musical Mary Poppins, directed by Robert Stevenson, written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, based on books by P.L. Travers, and starring Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. I feel like this movie is so well known that I probably don't need to tell you what it's about, but hey, no judgment if you haven't seen it. I've seen over 1,800 different movies in the last 20 years, and I still haven't seen a single Star Wars film, so I'm in no position to assume that popularity means universal familiarity. Sorry if you were hoping to hear about Star Wars movies in this podcast. For those who haven't seen it or saw it so long ago you don't remember... Mary Poppins is the story of the Banks family, who live in London in 1910. The father, George Banks, played by David Tomlinson, appropriately works at a bank, and is far more interested in his work than his family. His wife, Winifred, played by Glynis Johns, is focused only on campaigning for women's suffrage. Their children, Jane and Michael, Karen Detrice, and Matthew Garber, therefore feel rather neglected. When their nanny quits, she is replaced by the magical but firm Mary Poppins, played by Julie Andrews, in her feature film debut. She takes the children on several fun adventures, often with her friend Jack-of-all-trades Bert, played by Dick Van Dyke, while also helping the entire Banks family learn some lessons about what really matters in life. I don't remember when I first saw this movie, or how many times I'd seen it before I started keeping track in 2003. I do know that I watched it 14 times in the last 20 years. Once in 2003, once in 2004, three times in 2005, twice in 2008, twice in 2012, twice in 2015, once in 2016, once in 2020, and once in 2022. It's one of 10 movies that I watched 14 times, but the only one I will be talking about on this podcast, since I watched 39 movies at least 15 times. Mary Poppins made the list above the other nine because it was the longest, so I spent more time watching it than the others. At 2 hours and 19 minutes, it is quite long for a movie geared toward children, but I appreciate that it takes its time. Though there's an overarching story, it's apparent that this was adapted from a series of vignettes, and each little adventure is given the time it needs to make an impact. That being said, if the movie wasn't this long, I probably would have watched it more often. There have been several instances when I've thought about watching it, but decided to go with something shorter instead. So why have I watched this movie so many times? Well, for one thing, the music slaps. It is truly the Sherman Brothers' magnum opus. Every song is either a bop or a tearjerker. If I've been tracking the albums I've listened to most in the last 20 years, the Mary Poppins soundtrack might be number one. While I still listen to it not infrequently, the period of time when I listened to it the most was in ninth grade, which would have been 2004 to 2005, when pretty much every day after school, I would come home, grab a snack, get out my homework, and turn on the Mary Poppins CD. Needless to say, I was not exactly one of the popular kids, but I also didn't really care. I liked what I liked, and I found the Mary Poppins music at once soothing and exciting. Also, the CD included a bonus track with the Sherman Brothers talking about how some of the songs came to be, which I found fascinating, even the hundredth time I listened to it. 
A kid gets a polio vaccine in a lump of sugar. His dad and uncle write a catchy song about it. And over 40 years later, a teenager listens to both the song and the composers talking about it over geometry homework. It made me feel both insignificant and important, alone and yet part of something. And that's one of my favorite things about movies and stories in general. And I remember really starting to understand this during that period of my youth. If I recall correctly, my devotion to the Mary Poppins soundtrack led to me receiving the 40th anniversary DVD for Christmas of 2004, which would explain why I watched it three times in 2005. And if one bonus track from the Sherman Brothers was exciting to me, a two-disc special edition DVD was paradise. And the best part was the audio commentary. I didn't track how many of my Mary Poppins views were with the commentary turned on, but I would guess around half. Good audio commentary is one of my favorite things, and several of the movies in my top 40 got there partly because of how much their commentary delights me. Mary Poppins is definitely one of those. If you've never watched a movie with a commentary track, I highly recommend trying it for some of your favorite movies, although I don't know if very many filmmakers are recording them anymore since physical media has gone out of fashion. I don't even know if most people have DVD players to be able to watch them anymore. But luckily for me, 2004 was the height of DVD special features popularity, and that's when Disney decided to celebrate the 40th anniversary of this beloved masterpiece by giving us the gift of this amazing commentary. Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke are together, and Richard Sherman, one of the composers, and Karen Detrice, who played Jane, are also together in a different place, or maybe it was the same place at a different time, I'm not sure. The commentary switches between those two pairs of people, with the occasional recording from someone else added in here and there. One of the advantages of the long runtime is everybody gets a chance to talk quite a bit. Since they're recording it four decades after they made the movie, they don't always remember all the details of what they're talking about, but what they do remember is utterly delightful. Karen Detrice's perspective is particularly interesting looking back on what it was like to make this movie as a child when she didn't really know what was going on. She reveals that she didn't realize Dick Van Dyke was playing the old man at the bank when she was acting with him. She saw the name reveal in the credits in the theater with everyone else. And Richard Sherman has lots to say about the music that wasn't covered on the bonus CD track I'd listened to over and over. Dick and Julie have lots of fun stories to contribute. But truly, truly, the best part of the commentary is the fact that Julie's first husband, Tony Walton, to whom she was married when the movie was made, was in the Mary Poppins art and costume departments and apparently had a particular shade of bright red that he liked to use. So every time we see red on the screen julie has to mention tony walton red and it brings me so much joy and amusement that i have to mention it every time i talk about this movie but back to the movie itself i do love experiencing it even without the commentary the story is gentle and powerful and really sparks the imagination the characters are unique and fun to watch and again the music I don't even know if I could pick a number one favorite song. The Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and Step in Time stand out. They're all so fun and catchy. Sister Suffragette has some great lyrics. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. Perfect. And Glynis John sings it with such conviction. 
And even though I definitely thought it was boring as a child, Feed the Birds has really grown on me. It perfectly illustrates the recurring theme throughout Mary Poppins that small things can make a big difference, which is a message I find very encouraging. This movie is all about how it doesn't take much, tuppence, a spoonful of sugar, a word, a kite, to make a difference in someone else's life, and I think that's an important message. Not as an excuse to do as little as possible, but rather as a reason to do anything at all. It's easy for me to get overwhelmed by all the problems in the world, so much so that it sometimes feels pointless to try anything because I can't do everything, and at that point it's helpful to remember that actions don't have to be major to be worthwhile. This may sound trite, but the way this movie presents it feels so genuine and beautiful, at least to me, and I love the way rewatching it reminds me of this message. I also think a not insignificant reason that Mary Poppins has resonated with me is that there really is no romantic love story, apart from the married couple learning to appreciate each other a little better, which is quite minor in the grand scheme of the movie. Imagine a story with an iconic female and male lead who are just friends! I'm sure some people out there assume that Mary and Bert are romantically involved, but the movie itself specifically states otherwise. According to the commentary, the verse of Jolly Holiday that Mary sings to Bert about how he's such a gentleman and never presses his advantage with a lady and whatnot, was added at the suggestion of P.L. Travers. Apparently, the author of the book insisted that the film make it clear that Mary and Bert were not an item. Now, the way they talk about it in the commentary implies a bit of exasperation, and Travers was notoriously difficult to work with. I mean, there's a whole movie, Saving Mr. Banks, that sort of tells that story, although that movie is way more sympathetic toward Travers than the Mary Poppins special features, but I digress. Clearly not all of P.L. Travers's demands were met, because she didn't want any red in the picture, and Tony Walton could not be stopped. But with regards to Mary and Bert's relationship, I think she was right. A romance between them would have detracted from the story about the Banks family. Also, there are way too few purely platonic male-female friendships portrayed on film, and this is such a nice one, and it's written and acted so believably. They enjoy each other's company, they sing and dance and have adventures together, and they seem perfectly content with the state of their relationship. So often, friendship is portrayed as less than romance. People say just friends as if it's something to settle for, but friendship can be just as beautiful and deep and powerful as romance, and it's so lovely to see that here. Watching Mary Poppins as a young person, well before I understood that I was aromantic or asexual, it still made me so happy to see these two adults in the middle of such a sweet relationship that was clearly standing the test of time, since it's implied that they knew each other long before the events of the film, but didn't have anything to do with sex or romance. Not that I don't also enjoy stories that feature those kinds of relationships, too, but I think it's so telling that I gravitated so strongly to Mary Poppins when I was 14. At an age when most people are expected to experience serious crushes and start at least thinking about dating, all I wanted was a friendship that involved dancing with animals, singing nonsense words, and perhaps some magical cleaning. Obviously, Mary Poppins has wide appeal to an audience far beyond Arrowway's teenagers in the early 2000s. It was the highest grossing film of 1964, and the highest grossing Disney film ever at the time, and its popularity with audiences was still high enough to warrant a sequel in 2018. It also received near-universal critical acclaim. 
and was nominated for 13 Oscars, winning five. As I mentioned earlier, Poppins was Julie's feature film debut, though she had appeared on Broadway and on television prior to this. As most fans of musicals know, Julie Andrews originated the role of Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady, but was replaced by established film star Audrey Hepburn in the screen adaptation, which was also released in 1964. My Fair Lady got the Best Picture Oscar, but Julie won Best Actress for Poppins, so one of my views in 2015 was part of my Watching Through Best Actress Winners project. I ranked the Best Actress winning performances at the time and put this one at number 12, which I'm sure is higher than most people would put it, but I never said I was unbiased. Although I do stand by my ranking, it's a great, delightful, iconic performance. The other Oscars Poppins won were for editing, special effects, score, and original song for Jim Chimcheree. The visual effects truly were groundbreaking. Audio animatronics were in their infancy, and the bird in the spoonful of sugar scene was one of the first of its kind. I'm also very glad the music won two awards, although I'm not sure I'd pick Chim Chim Cheree as the best song, but it's still great. Andrews also won a Golden Globe, and in her acceptance speech thanked Jack Warner, the producer of the My Fair Lady film, which is just practically perfect in every way. While I do love My Fair Lady, I've watched it 11 times since I started keeping track, and would have loved to see Julie Andrews in it, I feel like it must have been more interesting to get to make Mary Poppins instead. My Fair Lady is basically just the stage musical on screen, whereas Mary Poppins is full of movie magic and originality. I don't think Andrews has any regrets about the way things turned out here. Which leads me to another reason I love this movie, which is that Julie Andrews is one of my faves. She's one of four actors to appear in at least four of my top 40 most watched films, and the only one of those whom I have met, also the only one who is still alive, so the only one I will ever meet. She writes children's books with her daughter, and in 2012, when I was in college, she was on tour promoting The Very Fairy Princess, Here Comes the Flower Girl, and did a book signing at my university bookstore. I was absolutely starstruck and had no idea what to say to her. She complimented the t-shirt I was wearing, and I think I said something completely incoherent in reply. And then she started to sign my book and said, so how are you? And I stammered, I'm amazing, by which I meant I was amazed to be standing in her presence. But she immediately and sincerely responded with, yes, you are. And I have never recovered. That must have been at least part of the reason I watched this movie twice in that year after not having watched it for four years. I don't watch it nearly as frequently as I used to anymore, but I still revisit it when I'm looking for magic or motivation to clean my room or just nostalgia. High school was a really rough time for me, but Mary Poppins, both the movie and the soundtrack, really helped me keep my head afloat when I felt like I was drowning, so it will always be special to me for that reason, in addition to just being a nice, well-told story that I enjoy. So, there you have it, my 40th most-watched movie in the last 20 years. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, follow, subscribe, rate, comment, do all the things if you want to keep listening. Following this will be a six-way tie of the movies I watched 15 times, from shortest to longest. I'll leave you with a quote from my next movie. Why do we even have that lever?